Welcome to another episode of the Secular Buddhism Podcast. This is episode number 87. I am your host, Noah Roshetta, and today I'm sharing the audio of an interview I did with Shireen Pekar on the topic of mindful parenting. Before I jump into the audio, a reminder, keep in mind the Dalai Lama's advice. Do not use what you learned from Buddhism to be a Buddhist. Use it to be a better whatever you already are. I think that's especially relevant in this topic when it comes to parenting. I connected with Shireen a couple months ago, and we've been planning on having a discussion around the topic of mindful parenting. And this is a topic that hits home for me because I have three kids, ages nine, six, and three. And I'm always striving to become more aware of my parenting style and trying to be a more skillful parent in the role that I play as their dad. Shireen is a graduate of the University of Southern California. She's a licensed psychotherapist in California, and she's been practicing psychotherapy since 2019. In her work, Shireen incorporates elements of cognitive behavioral therapy, psychodynamic therapy, and mindfulness. And Shireen has specialized training in RAI, which is an organization that's all about helping parents to raise authentic and self-confident children. So without further ado, this is the audio recording of the interview I had with Shireen. All right, I'm excited to have Shireen Pekar on the phone with me. We're doing this interview using the wonderful technology that is uh, Skype. So Shireen, thank you for taking the time to be on this call with me, and I'm looking forward to this interview. How are you? Hi, Noah. It's great to be here with you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you. Uh, so this is a topic I'm I'm looking forward to discussing with you. One, because I'm a parent, and two, because I'm striving to be more mindful with my parenting. So before we jump into it, I'd love to hear a little bit about how you got into this uh, this topic of mindful parenting, a little bit about you and your background. Would you mind sharing a little with us? Sure. So I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, as you mentioned, based in Los Angeles. And since I began working with clients in 2009, I found that there were a lot of common threads, themes in the work and in my work with them. Um, One being that clients struggled with their difficult feelings, their unpleasant feelings of anxiety and depression, shame, guilt, loneliness. So those kinds of tough emotions that we we tend to call the negative feelings, they had a really hard time feeling them and they had a hard time communicating them, expressing them. It seemed almost like they had sort of cut off from themselves with regards to their feelings. And ultimately, they had a hard time even accepting that those feelings existed in their lives. And they, they were afraid, in essence, that A, the feelings would swallow them up whole, that it would be too much for them to handle. And that the suffering would be forever, that it, it just, once they opened up this can of worms, that it would, it would just be forever. And as a result of their avoidance of these feelings, their pain would get louder and louder until they, they really couldn't cope anymore, and that's when they would come into therapy. And then another theme that I found was that they had this attachment to the idea that things needed to be a certain way in their life. And when their ideal world and their reality didn't align, it caused them suffering. And then the third area is that they had this idea that happiness and comfort needed to come from something outside of themselves. So some sort of external means like a purchase or food or a relationship, a marriage, um, career, how much money they were making. And they were so set in their ideals um, from their ego that they lost their sense of being. It was all about what they were doing and providing. And so fast forward to when I had my son, he was about three months old when I began looking for a mommy and me type class. And I found an organization called RAI, and they held these parent-infant guidance classes, they call it, where the parents would go into the room and the babies would be placed on a mat in the center of the room and the parents would sit around the perimeter of the room and the class was led by an experienced Rye associate 
And parents would learn, in essence, through these interactions and through observing the children and the babies, their own babies with other babies, they would learn mindful, conscious, respectful parenting that led into toddlerhood. So we stayed together for about two and a half years, from about three months to two and a half years. And so this is where my mindful parenting journey began when my two worlds kind of collided, my personal, my professional world collided. And it brought me a sense of consciousness within myself and with regards to my parenting. So I realized that I was so conditioned to resist my uncomfortable feelings, very similar to my clients. And I had adopted my cultural view that children are to be heard. I'm sorry, not heard, not seen, not heard even. And that parenting is more of a hierarchical relationship. So I realized that if my clients had this type of parenting from a mindful place, they wouldn't have had those themes sort of keep coming up in their lives. Yeah. Wow. That sounds, uh, it's so interesting to hear that. Uh, I've heard that same expression in my uh, social circles that kid, you know, children are to be uh, seen, not heard. Um, Mm -hmm. it's interesting how we do that. Um, something you mentioned that stood out to me was, you know, not, not being good at, at sitting with our uncomfortable emotions or the, or or difficult Mm -hmm. emotions. And, that certainly resonates from just a general mindfulness standpoint. Uh, but mm-hmm. something that I find interesting is for some reason, it seems like we, we go into parenting expecting parenting to just always be this pleasant experience without acknowledging that part of parenting is the discomfort. It's the poopy diapers and the, the, the tantrums and, and the other things that you experience that are normal parenting experiences and normal emotions but we don't want to feel those. And, and so much of our suffering arises out of not wanting to experience the, mm-hmm. what's normal and natural. Exactly. And that attachment to our desires that things should be a certain way because that's how they should be. We have all these shoulds attached to parenting. Yeah. So exactly. That's exactly it. So tell yeah. me a little bit about like the the shift from the view you have the view of children as, you know, the, the standpoint of to be seen and not heard and that switch to, so how do you view them then if, if, if that's not the case? Well, this is the sort of intro to mindful parenting about really reflecting what is your image of a child? And this is what I ask parents to do initially is to think about what they view children, how they view children, Um, and are we viewing them as individual beings, or are we sort of viewing them as extensions of ourselves? So, you know, what you do is a reflection of me, and and we have these expectations of them to be our projections, or um, these ideas that we, for example, should have been this great doctor, this amazing, successful doctor, and so we project that onto our children. Are we sort of viewing children that way? Or again, as, as individual beings with their own ideas and their own journey into figuring out who they want to be? Are uh, we... Yeah, go ahead. Oh, I, I really like that. Um, and what you said kind of stood out to me, The are they extensions of ourselves? I remember mm-hmm. um, my son taking, uh, when he started uh, soccer, that was meaningful for me because I grew up playing soccer all throughout my schooling years and even after I, I played on a league for my adult years for, for a while. So when he started playing soccer, it was exciting to see him play. And I remember at, at one game specifically the way he was playing, he's very timid. He's not aggressive at all. And uh, he's just not a good soccer player. And But his team won. And I remember being excited. And then it occurred to me, am I happy that he won or am I happy that um, I get to participate in the story of my son was a, is a good soccer player. It was the extension of me that was uh, taking place there. And I think we do that a lot with our kids. Exactly. But it's wonderful that you are able to get into this place of mindfulness of checking in with yourself about what this means to me 
is this for my child or is this for me? Yeah. I think a lot of times, at least in sports with kids, you see that where it seems like the um, we're projecting ourselves onto our kids so much where if, if, if they're not good at something, it's like that speaks about me as the parent, then I'm not a good parent. Um, exactly. And that, yeah, that's damaging, huh? Yes, it's it's exactly it because we're not allowing the space for them to feel who they are and who they want to be. And maybe he doesn't even want to play soccer. Maybe he wants to play football, but we're not because of your excitement and your pride. He may have some difficulty with expressing that, you know, he doesn't want to go to soccer. He wants to do something else. Yeah. You know, it, it's been yeah. a, a, an interesting topic in my dynamic and my family and my marriage, because I, I do have kind of the unique circumstances of, of having um, multiple views in our household when it comes to mm-hmm. cultural views, um, political views, and even religious views. And it's kind of forced us to um, really think about that with our kids when, you know, what do you think about this? And we'll, we'll talk about a, mm-hmm. a topic. They'll ask a question and it's like, well, mommy thinks and she'll explain her view. And then, well, daddy thinks and I'll mm-hmm. explain my view. And we've, we've tried to make a very conscious effort to say, but what really matters is what do you think? And give them that mm-hmm. space and that flexibility to one day know that, well, you get to decide for your own what how you view this or what you think about that. Mm-hmm. And the fact that the way that you're modeling that you each have different views sort of shows him that he can also have his own. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the, the feelings that you were talking about. How, you know, how do I as a parent relate to my feelings, the feelings of, of being a parent, the experience of parenting uh, versus the child's feelings? Um, tell me a little mm-hmm. bit about that. Well, again, when we're not allowing ourselves to access a place of discomfort, we're modeling to our child that they also shouldn't for for whatever reason, or that if we're dismissing or not allowing them to have their experience, for example, if they're crying about a fall and we're saying, you're okay, you're okay, the child learns to cut off that, that feeling, the inner self with regards to their feelings and then like the initial beginning intro where I talked about the clients that sort of cut off their feelings from themselves, they have a difficult time accessing them in the future. Okay. I really like that. I, I, I feel like this is getting at the heart of what it means to be a mindful parent or, or, or to be mindful parent, parenting mindfully. Um, mm-hmm. And this this has the crossover with what we talk about in mindfulness in general. Uh, uh, you know what we're trying to accomplish as a practice isn't necessarily to feel good; it's to be good at feeling. And yes. um, I, I really like that applied specifically to parenting. Would you say that that's kind of the? Is that how you would define mindful parenting? Yeah, I think mindful parenting begins with that sense of a parent really just asking themselves, how are they feeling? It begins with us, right? And so if we are beginning to allow our own feelings to to be within us and we're allowing them to exist and we're labeling them within ourselves, because if you can name it, if you, you can tame it, that's the saying. If you can name it, you can tame it. I like that. And if we're able to release them in a healthy way, we're again modeling all of these for our child. So release in a healthy way could be if you know if we're upset, we're just gonna cry. We're not gonna hold back our sadness for whatever cultural reason, you know, we've had in our past where you shouldn't cry in front of children. It's gonna make them sad. We don't want to make them sad. Being sad is bad. Being sad is scary. Um, you know, if if we're angry we want to use exercise to release our anger or journal or breathe through it or use some sense of imagery to release it. Um, and we want to really just validate within ourselves instead of judge. I remember a podcast where you talked about that second arrow. We want to eliminate that second arrow of feeling an emotion and then having 
a judgment about that emotion. We want to eliminate that mm-hmm. and accept our feeling. And if we need to communicate and share within ourselves and with others, including our children. Yeah. I like that. And a word that kind of arises as I think about this is awareness uh, that you mentioned. Um, I had this experience uh, last week or maybe the week before. It's a busy time of the season. And the reason I want to highlight this is because I'm sure someone's listening to this or or clicked on this podcast episode with the title Mindful Parenting thinking, I want to be a mindful parent. And in their mind, what that means is here's all this chaos. Kids are screaming or whatever and I am just at Mm -hmm. peace and I'm like sitting there Mm -hmm. home you know (laughs) and Mm -hmm. but it's not that here's how I in my experience of trying to be a more mindful parent uh, this is one example where I have been very grateful for my practice Uh, so like I mentioned it's it's a busy time of year we were all out late um, doing activities for uh, going to listen to our to grandma and grandpa's choir concert. And uh, long story short, we get home. It's really late. Kids are going to bed around 1130 and they're going to have to wake up for school tomorrow. Um, So I kind of paused and took the whole family for a moment. And I said, everyone listen for a moment. It's late. We're going to bed late. So in the morning, we're all going to be probably a little grumpy. Do you know why we'll be grumpy? And we, you know, we all talked about it. Yeah, because we're tired and um, but it was mm-hmm. it was almost like this awareness of what's mm-hmm. going what we're going to be experiencing tomorrow. And sure enough, the next morning, I had we I had forgotten that we talked about it, but remembered when we were having breakfast and the kids were essentially being sloths and could not get themselves <laughs> ready in time to make the bus. And mm-hmm. and I felt this moment mm-hmm. of wanting to lose my temper and just be like, "You guys, run!" And and then and then I remembered what I said the night before. I was like, oh, yeah, I knew that this morning would be harder than normal because I'm tired. They're tired. Mm-hmm. We're all grumpy. And that awareness alone was enough to not get rid of the feeling. Uh, I was still frustrated that they weren't going to make the bus on time. But at least I knew why. And it gave me a little bit of space in in terms of uh, the the feeling that I was having and how mm-hmm. I was going to react to that feeling. Exactly. And I'm really glad you brought up this awareness of needs and triggers because this is another step into becoming more of a mindful parent because we, when we're able to increase our awareness of not only our feelings like you did in this situation, but also our needs and our triggers as parents. So things like sleep, like you mentioned, food, you know, there is a term called hangry, and it's true. Yeah. You know, when we're hungry, we do get angry, and yeah. our children even worse. Yeah. And bringing this awareness into the stressors in our own lives on any given day. You know, your your personal triggers from childhood. Maybe we have this need to control because of our, per, you know, our anxiety as adults. Or maybe we're struggling with boundaries with others. Mm-hmm. Or again, we're feeling like we're very ego driven. So we feel like, you know, our children are, are projections. Or we're having this constant dance of projections between us and our child. Or maybe feeling ignored triggers your rejection button. You know, maybe sometimes when my son doesn't respond to me and I'm saying something and he's, he's looking at me or he's not looking at me, but he's not responding. I sometimes have to check in with myself as to wait, why is this bringing, why is this triggering me? Why am I getting activated? And is this triggering, you know, my rejection button? Do I feel rejected by my child right now because he's not responding to my question of if he's hungry or not, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it also is this awareness of the way maybe that we were parented. Maybe we're seeing ourselves as our parents and we don't, we, we swore that we'd never become that. Yeah. And it's, it's also important to not only have this awareness of ourselves, but also awareness of our child's needs and triggers, too. Yeah. And in my case, it's been really helpful to try to recognize uh, in my in my spouse and in my wife's uh, interactions, mm-hmm. her triggers, too. Yeah. Because exactly. what I found was something would trigger her, and when she's triggered, that would trigger me because I'm the peacemaker. <laughs> and, like, suddenly oh. we'd be caught in these complex webs of reactivity um, and 
and we're all just reacting to different things that had we all understood, oh, you're tired. Oh, you're being triggered by this, you know, past experience of your childhood. Oh, I, which is triggering me with this, <laughs> you know, and exactly. And then we exactly. go through our whole That's lives. Exactly. If we, if we don't notice that we go through our whole lives, raising our kids, just constantly being reactive and, uh, mm-hmm. unintentionally teaching them to carry on with that same form of reactivity. Exactly. And, you know, the relationships, I'm glad you brought up um, romantic relationships because those are very triggering for us, but the, but we can leave those relationships, you know, which people tend to do, especially yeah. in this day and age. But when it comes to parenting, we have to work through those triggers and we have to figure out why this is activating us and what within us is being activated and why so that we can raise healthier, happier children. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, re- I really like that. I, so one thing that I try to emphasize a lot in the topics uh, that I discuss on the podcast is that when we're discussing something, we're, we're trying to bring it back to me, right? This is about introspection and you finding out what there is, what's there for you. And I think that's important to highlight here. You know, mindful parenting isn't modeling, oh, I want to be like so-and-so. They're a mindful parent. It's mm-hmm. It's about getting to the heart of what you just said, like, what's triggering me? Why am I feeling this way? And, mm-hmm. and discovering the little things that you didn't know, like the concept of hangry um, mm-hmm. was somewhat foreign to me. I don't know why food isn't a big deal for me. I could eat sludge as long as it has a, a decent flavor every day for every meal and it wouldn't bother me. But, but my wife is very particular when it comes to food. And if she hasn't had her meal and it's, you know, she gets hangry and and that's passed along to my Mm -hmm. kids. Well, at least to some of them, but I didn't realize something about me is I call it hot gree, which is Mm. the temperature. If, if it's too hot, like if I'm wearing Mm. my coat and we get in the car and then we turn the car on, the heater kicks on, like all of a sudden (laughs) this rage enters me and it's because I'm hot. And I didn't know that for a long time and I would be reactive and especially in the car, like we'd get in the car and start driving and that's when I'm more likely to like yell or something. But now that I know that about myself, we get in the car, especially here in winter, I'll take my Mm -hmm. coat off and I'll be in a t-shirt in the car because if the heater's on and everyone's uh, being loud, the, the hot greenness goes away because I learned that about myself. And I don't know how many times I was reactive because I was just really hot. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny you brought that up because I actually share both of your triggers. (laughs) (laughs) Except when it comes to food, I am very much like your wife in the sense that I'm very aware, you know, when I need to go pick up my son from nursery school at 1230, I, I need to have eaten before. I need to have sit down, you know, and eat a good meal. I need to be full so that I can be patient because one of his triggers is transitions. One of his needs is that he needs time to transition from school to the car, to me, to home. And so he requires a good 10 or 15 minutes to walk and, you know, look at a tree that's outside and sit on the grass or look at the little child outside of his nursery class. And, and if I'm hungry, I don't have the patience to do that. Mm. So like you say, well, being mindful of our buttons really helps us to create less of those unnecessary moments of chaos. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> unnecessary moments of chaos. Because the, yes. like we mentioned before, the truth about parenting is it, it can be an unpleasant, it will be an unpleasant experience at times, and it will be chaotic at times, mm-hmm. but the unnecessary chaos is what we're focused on. I like exactly. that. Exactly. Exactly. And that's also a reason why I encourage parents to take on this practice is of figuring out what their goal is of becoming a mindful parent. Are they trying to get rid of both the unnecessary and necessary chaos? Mm -hmm. You know, are they trying to fix their child to be more compliant and, and, you know, respectful rather Mm -hmm. than having this mutual respect that mindful parenting encourages? Yeah. Um, What's their reason? Why do they want to be mindful parents? So we, we delve into that and, and we talk about, 
you know, what are they, are they attempting to fix, change, or minimize these negative feelings or control their child? Because these are all, you know, these are all ego-driven goals. Mm-hmm. Or are they trying to create a psychologically healthy adult that's interdirected and authentic and secure and self-aware and, you know, accept the full spectrum of their emotions? a child that's communicative and confident and attentive because Mm. a child that is excessively compliant is unhealthy. This represents the death of the self, Mm. meaning the child has cut off their true self in order to satisfy others. So they're really, in essence, sacrificing themselves, their needs, their feelings, their wants and desires to satisfy everyone else. And that's the recipe for a very codependent relationship in the future. Yeah. It it seems like that transitions very um, easily into affecting your romantic relationships too. Yes, undoubtedly. Because the relationship between parent and child creates the parameters of the relationships that we pursue as adults. We kind of recreate those relationships as adults and we try to resolve those unresolved areas of our childhood through our romantic relationships in the future. And then we find a whole mess, you know, later on when it could have been something that we could have worked through with our parents if our parents were more mindful and aware of us and themselves. Yeah. Um, let's talk a little bit about like common mistakes, uh, what we could yeah. call habitual reactivity. What are some of the tendencies that you see when you're working with people of little things that uh, might not, <clears throat> excuse me, little things that yeah. might not be so obvious that we're all doing? Yeah, I think you touched on it a little bit when you said that you kind of flip your lid when you get hot. And that speaks to reacting without taking a pause. And I think this is one of the areas that many parents fall into where they just yell or they raise their voice or they they become annoyed or get into a power struggle because they haven't been aware of their own bodily cues of when they're going to, you know, flip. Mm -hmm. And so I recommend that parents take a pause when they start feeling those cues within their body of them getting tense, usually it's like, you know, the, the hands, the fists kind of um, being tight, um, your body becomes tight, your breathing is slow or minimal. And when we're attentive to those bodily cues, we can then remember to take a pause. And so then we can mindfully respond rather than, you know, habitually react. Mm -hmm. I found in in my own experience, um, I like, I like, uh, prompting myself with a question like, Whoa, why am I feeling this? Mm -hmm. Or specifically with, with, with kids, with my kids, it's like, Whoa, why does that feel like such a big deal to me? You know, the fact that they're doing this or that, and I'm feeling really like I want to react. Why is this such a big deal to me? And that often, allows me to sometimes gain insight on, on what you, we were talking about earlier, like, oh, this past experience or something along those lines. Yes, exactly. It really brings your awareness to yourself and to your, your child. And that, that's what really this is all about. Mindful parenting is just awareness of ourselves and our child and the, the dance between us. And even if, though, you do get into a situation where you have sort of flipped your lid. Dan Siegel calls it flipping your lid. He says that it's a human thing that we do, and it's something that our brain, it just does. It's it's natural. It's not your fault. And mm-hmm. So it's something that it's important not to blame ourselves if we have flipped out. And you want to move to more of a place of self-compassion. And repair, ultimately, is what we can do at that point. And yeah. so, like you say, asking yourself the question, are really imperative at this point once it has happened. So you want to maybe ask yourself, how do I handle it when I've acted in a way that's not aligned with my mindful parenting perspective? Mm -hmm. 
And what we tend to do as parents, unfortunately, is to deny that it happened or we rationalize it and say, oh, well, you know, I, I'm really tired. I didn't sleep last night. Or, you know, we blame our child and we say we got a bad kid mm-hmm. or we avoid it altogether. But what I encourage parents to do is to communicate what, you know, they've done yeah. in a way where the child can reconnect with them. And what that could look like is, uh, you know, I'm sorry I yelled at you. That was probably really scary for you. I'm going to let you know next time I'm upset that I need a break. Yeah. You know, that's interesting. I, I remember now that you're saying this, for me growing up, that was, um, there's kind of a, a routine. If we got in trouble, or I shouldn't say if, when we got in trouble for doing something, my, my twin brother and I were um, very rambunctious very Mm -hmm. rambunctious little kids. And, but I remember anytime we got in trouble, it was always followed up at some point, usually within, I don't know, 30 minutes to an hour. Um, my, Mm -hmm. my dad would come back in and tell us why he, why we got in trouble. Like if, you know, if we got spanked or whatever it was, whatever the technique was, um, that put us in our place, he would come back and explain it. And I remember, um, Mm as as I've grown, like appreciating that. And I've, I've carried on that same thing with my kids. If they get in trouble or I react a certain way, um, I always come back and explain it later when, when I mm-hmm. feel like I'm ready to explain myself adequately. And I mentioned this in the podcast once one of, one of these instances was coming home, being upset and, and like kicking or picking up and throwing the Legos that they had, they had built a little thing and I threw it against the wall and, mm-hmm. Um, felt really bad about that because at the moment I was just reacting, but um, flipping the lid, right? I, my mm-hmm. lid had been flipped, which I think is a normal thing, <laughs> but it allowed me, like like I said before, that question, wow, why was that such a big deal? Why did I react that way? Because it felt like mm-hmm. that wasn't normal of me. Why? Why? And I gained a lot of insight out of that. So I I try to continually do that whether it's just a little reaction or a big reaction, I try to eventually sit down with the kids and, and I, and I'll do this all the time. Do you know why I yelled? And the, and Mm. and it gives us this chance to talk. Well, and I always, by then I've, I've realized something about myself. So I usually present that like, well, listen guys, I've been dealing with this or that, or I'm tired or Mm -hmm. I was uh, hungrier. And it gives them, at least it feels to me like it's giving them this, um, perspective of understanding oh i'm gonna feel that way too one day and when i flip my lid um i get to Mm -hmm. also sit and ask whoa why did that happen why did i feel that way it's been an interesting experience Mm -hmm. for me yeah exactly and i think the ability to communicate with each child that's in a different stage you know we we of course have to adjust how much and what we're communicating with each child in a different stage you know obviously the older child you're able to share more and you have more complex emotional terms that you could use with them that really expands their emotional intelligence Mm -hmm. so it's really it's really a great practice to do that i think another area that i offer for parents to be mindful of is the phones and media distractions This is a big one because we become so unconscious of the fact that our presence with our child usually entails us grabbing our phone, checking an email, or getting a text and responding. But I really want parents to think about the effect of not having this distraction. Mm -hmm. By being present without these, we're modeling a level of connection with others and with our child. And we're sending this message to our child that they're worthy of our time because how else are they going to learn worthiness? Yeah. You know, I, I recommend that parents be present and don't, it doesn't require us talking really. It, it could even just be us getting in their world, you know, sitting next to them when they're playing a video game, just observing, not hovering, but more observing and just having this quiet presence. Yeah. And I think a lot of parents struggle with that quiet presence and the piece of, advice for that is to really tap into your senses when you're trying to connect with your child without these distractions, because we've become so used to these distractions. Mm -hmm. That's a big one for me. 
I, I feel like I've been battling with this a lot. The, the phone is always there. Um, and the, my habitual reactivity is going down to the phone and checking. Is there an email? Is yeah. there, uh, is somebody, do I need to respond to someone on social media or things of that nature? Mm. And, um, I, I'm often reminded when I'm trying to talk to the kids about something and they are on their screens and they literally cannot, uh, it's like I'm invisible. I have to put my hands in front of the screen and then they realize, oh, yeah, you're there. What were you saying? But uh, that's what I do. And it's been really uh, a source of, uh, what would the word be? I, I guess feeling bad about my parenting is my phone yeah. addiction. And I... So, what have you found as some tips or, or things to work around that? What I One thing I've done is uh, I've tried to at least block out times like, okay, it's uh, dinner mm -hmm. time's an obvious one, but other times where I'm going to, I go and I physically put my phone away, like in the room or something mm -hmm. and go back out and just sit and try to interact with the family. Cause I'm trying to model that cause they're growing up with the, an even harder one where the, for them, it's the same. They're, they're so entertained by their, technology. Um, mm -hmm. and uh, I just feel like we're modeling all the wrong behavior there. W what would you say about tips and techniques there? Yeah, I think those were really great ideas that you had, you know, putting the phone in another room, putting it on silent. Um, and again, modeling that this is the time that we're having dinner. This is the time that we're having play, you know, observing, sensitive observation, we call it, where we're just kind of observing our mm -hmm. children and watching them play. And if we do have to take a call, because it does happen where, you know, our children don't want us to constantly be with them the older they get to, they want to exercise their independence. Mm -hmm. But if we are in the middle of those times when we do get a disruption, and it will happen, Again, it's communication. It's communicating that I'm sorry, I have to take a call. I'll be right back. Or I'm sorry, that that was disturbing. I apologize for that. Or mm -hmm. the phone's ringing. I'm not going to take that call because it's important for me to be here with you right now. They, they really acknowledge that and they internalize that they're worthy of their parents' time. So I think these ideas that you had were, were great ones. I think a lot of parents still do struggle with it. But putting it on silent really helps. Yeah, it's it's just having that out of sight, out of mind thing, even for our own well-being is really important, mm -hmm. let alone, you know, for our child. Yeah. So another tip I have that I think is more subtle is our use of language and use of the words in particular, no, because that's something that's become so overused mm -hmm. and it's become something that the meaning it's lost its meaning for our children. And so what I recommend for parents is to, rather than know and don't do this and don't do that, to shift their language to something that the child can do. So, for example, you know, my son loves to jump on the couch. Instead of telling him, you know, don't jump on the couch, I say, if you want to jump, you're welcome to go jump on the trampoline or you're welcome to go jump on the mattress in your playroom. But I don't want you to, you know, jump on the couch. So like it's more this directive, this directive to what they can do rather than don't do this, don't do this, no, no, no. I recommend parents use no for just safety concerns, mm -hmm. and the rest is more directives to things they can do mm -hmm. and offering the, the choice yeah. so that you're, they're not zoning out with the no. Or the, the terms good and bad, I feel like it places some judgment on things and people. Maybe shifting those words to unhealthy or healthy, you know, rather than, oh, that's that's bad for you. That that candy is bad for you. That's not really healthy. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. You that's difference? one that, uh, <clears throat> that I've worked on a lot in, in our home because mm -hmm. I'm always talking about that as a concept that, you know, good and bad, um, that, that's a a very uh, prevalent conversation in, in, in Buddhism and in mindfulness. Um, but I've noticed uh, even when my kids are asking me questions like, Hey, what is, or why is this word a bad word? Uh, and, and I'll say, well, it's not a bad word. There's no such thing as bad words. There's just words that some people get really uncomfortable if they hear it. So, you know, we don't say it because it's bad. 
We just don't say it because we don't want to make people uncomfortable. And trying to reframe things like that to uh, just to get out of that mindset of there's of of good and bad. Mm-hmm. And I've done I've had a lot of discussions with my wife around that same concept of um, there's no such thing as like a good parent versus a bad parent other than like, how do you define that? What makes you a good parent? It's like we're all just parenting and we we've tried to reframe in our personal conversations. We've tried to reframe the good and bad to more. How can I be a more skillful parent? How can I be uh-huh. a more skillful partner? Um, but I think we're trying to model that with our kids, too, like. Because it's, I've noticed for them, it's easy to get caught up in that thinking of, well, am I being a good son or a good daughter? Or mm-hmm. versus, uh, no, the, there is no good or bad, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. We're not good or bad people. People have behaviors that may not be, you know, the greatest. Mm-hmm. Or we could even label the behaviors as maybe you know, good or bad. But people. We just are who we are. You know, it's that accepting as is notion. Yeah. yeah. Huh. I like that. So language is a yeah. big one. And, and again, this goes back to being introspective and asking yourself, how am I communicating and why am I communicating this way? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Any other common ones? Yes. Um, another one that is a big one that we see is when parents tend to dismiss a child's sort of physical boundaries unconsciously because they want to respect others. You know, go give mm-hmm. grandma, grandpa a kiss mm-hmm. or, um, can, you know, just picking up children without letting them know. I think that it's really important to begin to bring this physical awareness through mindful parenting for our children so that they're aware of boundaries. And we, we begin giving children the opportunity to check in with themselves about what they want, what they're comfortable with, what feels good, what mm-hmm. doesn't, and allowing them to make decisions about their body. So maybe asking, do you want to give grandma grandpa love before they leave? Mm-hmm. Or can I pick you up to younger children? Mm-hmm. I have this bedtime routine with my son where I ask him, we call it the bedtime kisses, and I ask him, where do you want me to kiss you before bed? And so he'll point to his hair and then his eyes and his ears. And it's almost like a fun game for him mm-hmm. where he tells me where he's comfortable being kissed. And I kiss him and I say goodnight. And, and I respect that. And some nights he doesn't want any. And that's okay too. Yeah. So again, it's not about me. It's checking in with yourself as to who is this for? Is this for my child or is this for me? Who is benefiting? Yeah. It's interesting with the, like with my kids, the differences in their personalities. My primary love language is, is physical touch and affection. And my son is very much that way too. So like in the mornings, when the kids are, so my son and daughter, my, my kids are nine, six, and three. Um, the nine-year-old and the six-year-old go ride the bus together. But every morning it's the same thing. My my son is like, bye, mommy, bye, daddy. And he has to give us each a kiss and he has to give us a hug. And then he'll start to leave and then turn around and always needs a second uh, a second hug or a second kiss. And our, our little daughter, the six-year-old, she's always just like, see ya, bye. And doesn't. <laughs> No hugs, no kisses. And it it was interesting to notice in me, like that sense of, whoa, something's wrong because why would you not give someone a hug and a kiss before you leave? Because that's my, that's me. (laughs) Um, But it's made me uh, very aware that, oh, she, she kind of gets to decide how that is and, and how long I've projected my communication style on like my wife or on my, on my kids. And it's been eye-opening for me to think, okay, I want to be more mindful about this and pay attention. What are her communication styles? How does she feel loved? Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I just thought about that as you were explaining. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really important for us to be able to respect theirs and allow the space for them to exercise what they want when it comes to their bodies. Mm -hmm. I think as you know, young children, we do tend to tell them to go kiss this person and hug, give that one a hug. And, and what we don't think, like, what if they don't want to? Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. What if they're really uncomfortable for whatever reason? It's not what they want to do. We're yeah. we're sending the message that, you know, your inner voice is secondary to what your parents has to kind of direct you to do. Yeah. Interesting. And I don't think it's intentional. You know, you don't want to judge parents because I'm sure they're all doing the best they can with what they know. But we also do want to bring some awareness to a child's experience with, within the way that we're parenting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. So yeah. let's talk a little bit about like the mindful parenting from the perspective of what's happening inside, how are we, because uh, we, we talk about mindful parenting in terms of how I interact with my kids. What do I say to my kids? But what about mindful parenting in the, in, in the context of how I talk to myself, the inner voice, uh, what's happening inside of me? Let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So when it comes to our own feelings, that's where we can begin ultimately that's where we need to begin and bringing this awareness to ourselves i have a little um little thing that i have created called the mind and body scan and it's very aligned with the buddhist tenet of right mindfulness of being aware of your thoughts and your emotions and your body as it it exists in the present moment Mm-hmm. And ultimately, you know, your your feelings and your thoughts do create your reality, which is the right, the whole right mindfulness mm-hmm. approach. I'm, I'm sure you're able to speak to that better than I am. But I've created this practice in checking in with yourself just by scanning your body throughout the day, you know, for your sensations and your feelings. Mm-hmm. And the purpose of this is to create a habit of staying in the moment. So just throughout the day, you know, taking a moment within yourself to check in, you know, how am I feeling right now? Because we're really easily able to distract ourselves through, again, the phone, through chores that we have to do, through our relationships, through work. It's really easy to forget and, Mm -hmm. you know, put ourselves aside. And so when we create this practice of checking in with ourselves, it benefits us as parents and as individuals because we're modeling that we're we're feeling, we're validating, we're communicating, we're, even with ourselves about our feelings and needs. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it's a great practice to do just within yourself, the, the positive or the negative. You know, like right now, I'm, I'm in a good mood. You know, what, what caused that? You know, just having this relationship with yourself throughout the day that you're checking in with yourself just to, to see how you're doing the same way that we would with a partner. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, it's interesting how you mentioned this modeling. If we don't model or if we don't practice this ourselves, we're essentially modeling the uh, the way of being um, uh, habitually reactive to our kids. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. one way that I know that I do that, uh, and I, I think you mentioned this in some of your work, um, is distracting our kids. It's always been a strategy or a, a technique that I use when the kid falls, a kid falls and you're like, Oh, you're okay. Oh, look over there. Did you see that? And it's like, we're trying to distract yes. people, our kids from what they're feeling or what they're going through. And I think in my case, that stems from, um, maybe that's how I've always been like, Oh, I'm feeling mm-hmm. this. Oh, better distract myself. Go look at that. Um, how do we foster that? sense in our kids like for how do we help them to honor what they're experiencing the way to go about that is to really just meet them where they are at in that moment Mm -hmm. so if again we'll use the fall example of you know you you witnessed your child falling and they're crying i mean there's there's no real injury Mm -hmm. and you may feel like okay it's not a big deal but we want to meet them where they're at. And if they're crying, just want to sit with them while they're crying and, and just look at them and even explain to them maybe what we saw happen. You know, you were walking and you didn't see that last step. And then I noticed that you, you, you just kind of fell over and you hit your head slightly on the, on the ground. 
and that mm-hmm. probably scared you. And we want to add words. We want to be able to put words to the experience, emotional feelings like that must have scared you. That was that shocked you. You weren't expecting that. You feel scared. You feel, you know, afraid. Whatever, whatever words that we feel like would accurately explain what our child's feeling so that they're able to put words to it. They're able to make sense of it. And we're not discounting their experience because we feel like, okay, there's no blood. You're fine. You know, that seems to be a common um, one, right? It's like, you're okay. Get up. Quit crying. (laughs) Yes. I see that. You're okay. You're okay. No, nothing happened. Nothing happened. Oh, why are you crying? Don't cry. Oh my gosh. Let's go get ice cream. The ice cream truck. (laughs) You know, (laughs) And, and I think a lot of that's cultural, too, for many people. Sure. That, you know, we've learned to become afraid of our emotions. I don't know why, because we don't do that with the, the positive emotions of happiness and joy. You know, we want that, but we don't want <laughs> the other part of our human experience. Yeah. And if we're not willing to have that within ourselves, we definitely can't see that within yeah. our children. I wonder if a part of that is our, the impatience, Uh, we're always rushing from here to there, this to that. Um, So like someone falls and you're like, you're, you're fine. Get up. Don't, don't cry about it. We don't have time, (laughs) or at least we feel like we don't have time to, to sit and evaluate. But it's funny that you mentioned like the, on the flip side, if it were a positive experience, then we do want to be like, oh, I'm going to linger with this one. We don't do that yes. there, right? It's like, hey, I'm feeling great. No, you're not. You're you're not great. You're more okay. <laughs> Let's just move on. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. I think it stems from a this fear that you know these negative emotions are going to swallow us up whole, so we need to avoid it, or or even just the fact of you know us being parented from a perspective of distraction and mm. and not being in touch with that emotion. And thinking that, you know, there's some reason why we shouldn't visit those feelings. There's yeah. there's something in there that's that's scary or that it's going to last forever or that we have this idea that it shouldn't be this way. We shouldn't feel sad or we shouldn't cry or we shouldn't feel guilty or anxious or lonely. Yeah. But why not? Really asking ourselves, why not? What's wrong with that? I like that you mentioned kind of highlighting some of the other underlying emotions that may be causing that discomfort. Like instead of just um, saying, Oh, you're okay. Saying, Oh, did that scare you? Or, did, mm-hmm. or you know, that I think that's really powerful uh, in terms of helping our, our kids to grow up with a, the tools, I guess, to explore deeper. Cause I find that as adults, we do that all the time too. I, I mentioned in one of the podcast episodes when we were in Iceland and my, my wife had this experience of being yelled at by another tourist because she was taking too much time on the on one of the things where we were taking a picture and there was this intense moment of uh, strong emotion that welled up for her that through introspection she was able to realize well why did that bother me and realizing Mm -hmm. there's a deeper thing that sense of embarrassment and in this case embarrassment is what led to the anger but I think with our Mm -hmm. with pain it's similar it's like well you know, a kid falls, sometimes it may not have, they're crying not because it hurt, it because they were embarrassed, uh, but helping them to discover, oh, why, what happened? Did, did that scare you? I think is a good prompt mm-hmm. for something like that to realize, oh, that's why I'm feeling this way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as you said, you know, in, in every experience, there are multi-layers. And it may not just be maybe what we think, or they, you know, it may be that there is something deeper or something different that that maybe we didn't even catch that if we allow for that experience to unfold, that they will be able to tell us, you know, yeah, I was surprised. I I didn't expect that to be there. It's not that I'm in pain. It's more that I was shocked or I wasn't expecting that to happen. Yeah. Caught me off guard. Yeah. I really like that. Um, So I feel like it's a good time to, mention again this to the listeners if you're listening to this thinking mindful parenting means there's this way to parent compared to that way of parenting uh i i don't know that we would want to necessarily present it that way it's more of a a more introspective way of parenting where i'm learning about why i parent the way that i parent 
why I react the way that I react when this or that happens, uh, rather than saying, uh, I, I think a common mistake would be to think, okay, well, I'm just going to pretend now this thing happens and I'll pretend like that's not bothering me because that's the mindful way. Right. And that's actually the opposite. It's you're, you're not sitting with the emotion that you're experiencing. You're pretending that you're not experiencing that unpleasant feeling is counterproductive. That's not going to make you mindful at all. Pretending to be peaceful in your parenting isn't helpful at all. Um, How would you, if we were to kind of wrap this up, um, what does mindful parenting look like? What are some common things that somebody listening now could start doing, you know, this, this, or that? What, what, What would that be? Yeah, so mindful parenting is is really a, a combination of being authentic with our feelings and our experience, relating to them, relating to our child's feeling and experience, allowing them to exist within the child too, bringing awareness to our needs and our triggers and our self-care and our child's needs and triggers, mm. and bringing this awareness to our communication to how we're communicating what's going on with us with regards to our feelings and our experience. And lastly, I I wanted to add a bonus sort of exercise for parents to try out and see how that feels for them, even if they had a day of not so mindful parenting. Great. How does that sound, Noah? Yeah, let's hear it. Yeah, so I call this the manifesting positive outcomes, where at the end of each day, just taking five minutes before you go to bed to replay the day's interactions with your child in your mind. So what I do is I sit at the edge of my bed and I envision one incident that I would have liked to have gone better with my son. And I'll ask myself where in that event I could have been more, where could I have been better? How could I have interacted in a way more aligned with mindful parenting? And then I begin to envision that same event going exactly as I would have liked it to go in my mind. And I feel in my body what it feels like to be on this endeavor of mindful parenting. Hmm. I like that. Do you have, um, is this like a, a practice that you're just kind of running in your head or do you have people write it down like a, I don't know, like a parenting journal or something. You know, it depends on what works for you. Some parents don't like the journaling, but if you journal, I think it's even better because it allows you this opportunity to go back mm-hmm. and kind of look through past incidents and you'll remember things that you may not have remembered, you know, in that present moment. And it could be a very enlightening journal to go through when mm-hmm. you have the time. I like that. You know, one thing I do uh, regularly in the podcast episodes is try, I, I try to have a an invitation for a challenge of some sort at the end. Uh, and I think this mm-hmm. is a good one for this podcast episode, maybe for the next week or so, uh, to give that a try. Ending your day with that, that asking yourself, what could, you know, how did how did today unfold in, in my parenting? What could mm-hmm. I have done differently? How would that have made things turn out? And just just thinking about it, I think it goes a long way because what we're, what we seem to be up against is remembering to remember. Right. And mm-hmm. like the, in our busy lives, we're just, we're just reacting and we're surviving the experience of parenting and not really mm-hmm. um, pausing and, and analyzing what does this feel like? And that's unfortunate mm-hmm. because I, I try to remind myself that no matter how, um, no matter how unpleasant the experience of parenting is today, at some point I will look back and I'll miss that that experience is gone. And I, mm. I don't want to have regrets in my parenting. And to me, I mean, I don't want to have regrets in my living, but to me mm. that, that translates into, am I really feeling it right now? Allowing myself to mm. be fully immersed in the experience of parenting. But that, that puts the good and the bad, so to speak, on on equal playing field. It's like, did I really yeah. soak in the unpleasantness of, of my three-year-old still not being potty trained? Mm-hmm. And here I am changing mm-hmm. 
her pull up, uh, you know, in the, in the mall, did I really allow myself to, to f be good at feeling what that was like rather than just pushing yeah. that away? Yes, exactly. Exactly. This full spectrum of emotions and experiences. Yeah. Exactly. That's exactly it. You know, um, I feel like parenting is an incredible experience. Anyone who's a parent kind of knows this and, um, I feel like, man, it's been such a neat experience to raise another mm -hmm. human being and realize they're not little robots. I'm not cloning myself. They've got mm -hmm. their own personalities and their own uh, way that makes them unique. And it's neat to have that interaction with them, even at such a young age. Um, and yeah, to me, that's what mindful parenting is about. It's me trying to understand the interdependent nature of our relationship, mm -hmm. trying to understand mm -hmm. myself, how I, I interject, like the natural tendency to put myself in them, the egocentric side of it that you talked mm -hmm. about. Um, yes. and, and not, I guess not eliminate that, but totally just recognize, Oh, that's a natural tendency. Wow. Why do we do that? Um, and allowing myself to, to see that and then back away at times and think, Oh, okay. I know why it was, why this felt this way or that way. And just, mm -hmm. again, experiencing that full range of, of emotions in, in what it is to parent. Yes, exactly. So exactly. If, and, and yeah. Oh, no, sorry. I was just going to say, um, if people want to learn more about this, do you have any resources that you would suggest, books or your website or, or anything along those lines? Yes, I encourage them to check out my website. I have a little bit of information on my website about how I work. Um, they're welcome to reach out to me. I offer free 15-minute consultations for prospective clients, and um, I'm able to just kind of get to know them and what they're looking for. I'm able to see clients in California face-to-face -face or through Skype or teletherapy throughout the United States. And that would be more as like a mindful parenting coaching. And um, if they'd like to get in more information about Rye, they're welcome to go Wait, to bef www. Before we jump yeah. into that, what, what is yeah. your website? Sure. Oh, my website is www.talkwithshirin.com. Okay. And that's S-H-I-R-I-N. That's correct. Cool. And I'll put these links in the description of the podcast episode as well. Great. And okay, so the and other one you were mentioning? Rye's website is www.rye.org, and that's R I E.org. Rye may have Rye Associates throughout the United States, they're actually worldwide. So you're welcome to see if there are any parent child guidance classes near you, or um, they also have other sort of resources on their website. And on my website, I have books that I recommend for parents that are interested in mindful, conscious parenting. Cool. Okay. Do you do any of those stand out right now as like, here's a book to check out, or should we just go look at the list? There are a bunch. Um, I recommend that parents go check out uh, what works for them, what they're looking for. Um, if it's for discipline, I have a couple for discipline. If they're looking for more um, something for their babies from zero to two, uh, I've got that covered. And then, um, you know, for older children as well. And then there are books for the parents too. So we've got it all covered on my website. Awesome. Great. Well, I, I feel like it, I want to echo what I mention at the beginning of every podcast episode in terms of when we're talking about Buddhism, I always uh, mention the the quote of the Dalai Lama is to not use Buddhism to become a Buddhist, but to become a better whatever you already are. And I, I almost want to say that fits perfectly with this. Like my use the concepts and tools of mindful parenting, not to become a mindful parent, but to become a better parent, a better whatever you already are, whatever type of parent you are now, just be a little better. <laughs> exactly well cool well i really appreciate you taking the time and uh discussing this topic um it's it's certainly a topic that's interesting to me because i have kids and i know podcast listeners have mentioned it before because i've i've only done 
one or two podcasts where I, where I talk about teaching mindfulness to kids or things along those lines. So this has been a really fun uh, conversation. I think there are a lot of good nuggets in there that uh, uh, parents are going to appreciate. And we'll go check out your books. I think that, w- that would be the next logical step, either talking to you or reading some of these books and learning more about these concepts. I know I'm excited to, to dig through that list and see uh, which book I want to pick up next. Yes, definitely. And feel free to reach out if, if anyone has any questions. You know, I'm, I'm very accessible. This mindful parenting is such a favorite, favorite specialty of mine, and I enjoy it very much. Very cool. I'm grateful. Well, yes, thanks again thank for you. your time. It was a, a pleasure speaking with you, and I'm sure uh, we'll reach out if anyone has any questions. Uh, visit the links in the podcast description to find Shireen and her work. And uh, thank you guys for listening. Thank you, Noah. Thank you for listening to the audio of this uh, podcast interview. If you want to learn more about Buddhism and mindfulness, you can check out my books, Secular Buddhism, No-Nonsense Buddhism for Beginners, and my third book, The Five-Minute Mindfulness Journal. Uh, You can learn about those if you visit noahrasheta.com. That's N-O-A-H-R-A-S-H-E-T-A dot com. If you enjoyed this podcast episode, please feel free to share it with others, write a review, give it a rating in iTunes, or if you want to join our online community, you can visit secularbuddhism.com forward slash community. If you'd like to make a donation to support the work I'm doing with this podcast, you can visit secularbuddhism.com and click on the donate button. That's all I have for now, but I look forward to recording another podcast episode soon. Until next time.